And I want to encourage you to take your Bibles, open up to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. And uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. There should be one in the pew in front of you. And it should be right about page 10 in that pew Bible, if you want to use that. Genesis chapter 12. And uh, we're not going to sit in Genesis chapter 12, but that's where we're going to start. And uh, we've been working through, this is our second week in a series of talks entitled, God Is. And we're looking through the Bible for the next several months and identifying who is this God that we claim to worship and that we gather together every week and we speak from what we call His Word. And it becomes challenging if we don't ask that question and look specifically into His Word for the answers to that to know, who am I really worshiping? And that could become a scary thing because we just fill that with whatever we decide this God is rather than looking at what He has revealed Himself to be. And I don't know about you, but I would not want other people to identify me based on who you want me to be. I would rather you get to know who I actually am. And I would, I would expect that's the same for you today. And so specifically today, we're going to be looking at God is provider. Everyone say provider. And to do this, we're going to look at the, really the narrative, a, a big portion of the narrative in the Old Testament of a man named Abram. Or some of you may know him as Abraham, right? And if you don't know him, that's even better because I love telling this narrative to those who see it with fresh eyes. And I will admit that usually it's the church people who miss these truths the most because you've heard this story for so long that you don't open your eyes to see that there's richness and newness and the Word of God is alive and it is continually speaking to us in ways that we haven't seen before. And that's what we believe. We believe the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of bones and marrow, that it is able to reprove, correct, to teach us and equip us for the ministry that we're called to do. And so, uh, if that's the first time you're hearing this, praise the Lord. Once again, I'm so thankful you're here. And my desire would be that you would get a hold of your own copy of God's Word, that you would seek out and really yearn for the answer to this question, who is this God of the Bible? And uh, I'm going to open us in prayer, and then we're going to jump into a couple verses in Genesis chapter 12. We're going to walk through a few different sections, and we're going to land at Genesis 22 this morning. So, Lord, may you be glorified by the proclamation of your word. May it not be uh, because of the vessel presenting that, but, Lord, that your spirit would move in a way that uh, we would hunger for more of your truth and that we would uh, not push away or push aside those doubts or questions or uh, yearnings that we have, but rather we would focus those into our time this morning and beyond that we would be a people that is equipped to carry out your work, that we're devoted not to our own thought processes or prejudices, but that we're devoted to your word and your truth alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1, 
It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Everyone say blessed. So this passage in Genesis 12, really these first three verses, is identified as the Abrahamic covenant. And all a covenant is, it's a big word for a promise that is made. And in this case, a promise that is specifically made from God to this man named Abram. And this is important because you will see this covenant lived out throughout the Old Testament. And we see other instances where God makes covenant with, covenants with certain people to carry out His purposes and His plan. Usually in a time frame that is completely unknown to the individual with which He's making that promise. And so we see that. All the way back, we see God make a covenant with Noah. We see God make a covenant with Abram. We see God make a covenant with David. And even into the New Testament, we see what's called the New Covenant fulfilled in this person named Jesus. And so this language, this covenantal language is so important for us to grasp. And so you can just box or underline, if you mark in your Bibles, that section of Genesis 12, and I like to sometimes box it, and then on the outside of my margins, I, I will write Abrahamic covenant. So when I come to that section of Scripture, I recognize, oh wait, this is important, so that I don't just gloss through that. Now, this comes to light more, if you turn ahead with me to Genesis 15 now, we have this man named Abram, and Abram, if you go back and start at the beginning of Genesis, you can track Abram's descendants from Adam through to Noah all the way to himself. And I'd encourage you to do that, to study it, so you can see the ties and how God is orchestrating this to where it is right here in the, in the middle of Genesis. Genesis 15, starting in verse 1, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven, and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, in this fast-forward tale, God made his covenant with Abram in Genesis 12. Now we fast-forward some years. And Abram, I believe we can relate very much to this. He's becoming concerned that God is going to make good on his promise. God, I know you promised this, and God appears and he reminds him. God is faithful to remind us of his promises. And yet Abraham, he doesn't just respond and say, praise the Lord. I can't wait for that blessing. He goes, God, what, what are you going to give me? 
I don't have a son of my own. And biblically, in the historical accounts of the Bible, if you had no sons to take on everything you had and carry on your legacy, it went to the next person in your family. So the next male in your family's lineage would then step in and be your heir. But that was somewhat of a discouraging thing because it wasn't your blood carrying on through generations and generations. So Abraham's going... God, I don't understand. And yet God reminds him once again and attaches to it even a larger scope of this promise. He says, look at the stars. And it will be through not another man, it will be through your son that this will come to be. So he reminds him he's faithful to that. Now flip over to Genesis 17. And actually, uh, just as you're flipping there and fast-forwarding, I'll give you an overview of 16. And in 16, what happens is Abram and his wife Sarai take matters into their own hands. And in fact, they take it so much into their own hands, Sarai has not been able to have children. And yet they believe this promise of God. So they, they take that and Sarah gives one of her servants to her husband and says, have children with my servant and that way we'll fulfill the promise of the Lord. Now we read that and we go, oh, how could they do that? But I want you to understand something. They were doing exactly what we do when we see a promise of God and we don't see it coming to fruition. And so we take it into our own hands and what the result ends up being is a really convoluted concept of what God intended it to be, right? And so we see that exact same response and I want you to stop for a minute and resonate with the humanity of Abram and his wife. Because in the midst of this narrative, I see and relate to so much of what I experience as I wrestle with this idea of God as provider. God, I know that you've made these promises throughout your word. I know that your promises ring true, but I don't see how this is going to come to be. So you know what, God? I've got a really good plan. I'm going to make this work. And I can't wait for you to see how I'm going to do this. And I, I just imagine God see up there shaking his head. And we see them do the exact same thing in 16. And then when we get to 17, verse 1, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram. Now think about this, okay? I want to pause. Think about this. God had appeared to Abram and said this, stated his promise to him. And now he's 99. This promise still hasn't come to be. And the Lord appears to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. He's that same theme. Verse 3, Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. So if you ever wondered why you, we often call Abram and Abraham the same guy, it's because he is. And this is where you see that transition. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant 
to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now, one aspect of this narrative I failed to highlight for you is when Abram and Sarah took matters into their own hands, Sarah's servant actually did conceive and bear a son, and his name was Ishmael. And so now, if you fast forward to this, logically, we can speculate and say Abram is probably pretty convinced at this point that God's promise is going to be filled, fulfilled through his son Ishmael. And we were, should be prone to think the same thing until we get to the next section, starting in verse 15, where it says, And God said to Abram, As for Sarai, your wife... You shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. And I love verse 17. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, here's where you see where Abraham's thought pattern was. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. He had it figured out in his mind. Verse 19, God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Now, once again, this reveals such a human response to God's promises. And even in the midst of God saying directly, No, I'm going to do this thing that you think is impossible. Abraham laughs. And I don't really know what it would be like to laugh at God as he's speaking directly to you, but other places in Scripture, God was not so gracious. And yet, in the midst of this, God extends grace. He says, no, no, you don't understand, Abraham. I'm going to fulfill my promise exactly as I've intended to fulfill it. You just wait and see. And so, flip over now to chapter 22. And ultimately, what happens in between this is what should not surprise us, that God actually fulfills his promise Abraham's wife Sarah conceives, she bears a son, they call his name Isaac, Isaac is growing, he is weaned from his mother, he is a developing young man, and we get all the way to Genesis chapter 22, and something happens that should cause us to really wrestle with what God is doing. And it says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, And he said, here I am. He said, listen to this, 
Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, when we read that, if we're really following the narrative, it should make us stop and go, what? So I'm going to read verse 2 again, and I want you to respond that way. Okay? We're going to do this together. So, God's talking to Abraham, and he said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Oh, that was so good. Now, as I was thinking about how to present this narrative and what happened to you, I figured it would be much more effective to have someone who was actually there present it to you. And so I'm going to step back and I'm going to invite this individual to come and share with you his first-person account of this story. Right? Oh, shalom. Oh, welcome. Oh, wow. I had no idea so many of you were interested in hearing my story. Uh, I, I'm Isaac, by the way, uh, son of Abraham. And to be honest with you, I'm still processing a lot of this myself. It's something that's not super easy to wrestle with. Uh, nevertheless, I'm really, really thankful that you are all here. That, that, well, I'm thankful you're here, but I'm really thankful that I'm still here. That I'm here to actually share this with you. And uh, well, you'll, you'll understand. So honestly, this trip that took place wasn't that unusual. We'd taken trips like this before. And Dad woke up in the morning and he, was, he woke up early and packed and was getting everything ready to go. And he'd asked a couple of our uh, young workers to come along with us and loaded up the donkeys. This was all just preparation stuff. And I remember thinking, there's enough wood on these donkeys for, for a sacrifice but it seems strange that we're not packing up one of our own flock, one of our own livestock to come along with us. I, I didn't really think much of it. Figured, Dad had a plan. So we set out and traveled for a couple days. And it was, yeah, it was day three. It was the third day. And Dad told the workers they were supposed to stay with the donkeys. And he made me his donkey. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever packed an altar's worth of wood on your back while you're climbing a mountain, but I don't recommend it. It's not an easy feat. And at this point, I'm starting to get a little concerned. There's still no sacrifice. And Dad was pretty quiet. And even when I asked him about the sacrifice itself, he responded really vaguely. He said, God will provide a sacrifice for himself. That was it. That's not helping me understand what's going on here. Nevertheless, I left it at that, continued on the journey. Finally, we reach the destination and start putting together the altar, setting the wood up as it's supposed to be. Still no sacrifice. Dad had the knife. He had the fire. It's clear what we're doing. Was God going to perform one of his miracles at this point? Someone, I mean, Dad said he's going to provide. Surely, I don't know. Poof! Sheep! 
Anyway, Dad finished the altar, and out of the blue, he grabs me, ties me up, and puts me, he puts me on the altar. Now, it was really hard to think and process what was going on, but honestly, my first thought was, is this why we left so early without telling Mom? He stands over me, bends down, he raises the knife. I, I really thought this was it. This, this was where I died. All of the, the stories my parents had told me about the promises of God fulfilled in my birth, about God's miraculous nature, His faithfulness that came to be when I, when I was born, for this? He was getting ready to come down with the knife, and then a voice. Praise the Lord, someone else is here. Get this crazy man to put the knife down. But this wasn't an ordinary voice. No, no. This was the angel of the Lord. I could still remember those words. Abram, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I see you fear God, seeing that you had not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And what do you know? We turn around. There in the brush is a ram caught by its horns. I see this sigh of relief come over my dad with tears. He unties me and we sacrifice this ram together. Jehovah Jireh, Dad said, that's what we're going to call this place. The Lord will provide. And he did. Dad was right. He did provide. Now, I don't know if I would be standing here able to witness that if it had been a moment later that God had provided. But it seems to be how God works sometimes, isn't it? He could have provided the lamb when, before we left. He could have even provided it on the way up the mountain. And yet he waited until just the right time. I honestly don't know if I could have done what my dad did that day. But I know he was trusting the Lord. <laughs> I have to say, in the midst of all this, I can't wait to see what mom has to say about this. Thanks for listening. We'll see you all. <clears throat> How many of you do you think could do what Abraham did? I don't know that I could. I struggle, I struggle with that. And in the midst of this, I want to I give you three observations about God in the midst of this narrative, okay? Because ultimately, that's my desire is for us to focus on who is God? And what is He revealing about Himself in the midst of this story? And the first thing I want you to gather here and understand is that God provides in His timing. God provides in His timing. 
he easily could have provided long before he did. And I have to empathize in this story with Abraham, who has this whole journey, and he's the only one who knows what's really going on here. And as he's hiking up the mountain, God still hasn't provided. As he's building the altar, God still hasn't provided. As he puts his son there, God still hasn't provided. And yet he continued moving forward. And God provided exactly as Abraham had faith that he would. But he didn't do it in Abraham's timing. He did it in God, in his own timing. God provides in his timing. Now, the second observation we can gather from this narrative is that God provides according to his plan. God provides in accordance with his plan. Now, we see at the beginning of this narrative that God tested Abraham. And even after this, God's words to Abraham communicated, Abraham, now I know, I know that you fear me. I know that I hold the most important slot in your life because you were willing to give as much as even your son with whom all these promises that I gave you I said these were going to be fulfilled in him. And Abraham had every reason in that moment to question and doubt how God planned to fulfill his promises in the midst of this. And yet we don't see that. I guarantee there is an internal battle waging with this father who waited for years to see how is God going to fulfill this. And he did it according to his plan. How many times... Do we look at what's happening in our life and we ask, we plead with God for Him to provide and it just doesn't go as we think it should? Well, that just means that God didn't provide according to your plan. But that doesn't mean He isn't still going to fulfill His promises to provide according to His. And that's where the third observation about God's character comes in the in this narrative, is that God provides in accordance with His promises. God is going to provide in a way that still fulfills exactly as He has intended and promised to do from the very start. But this becomes really challenging when we don't actually know what He's promised to do. That's where the benefit of having and holding the Word of God comes in. That's where the need and the longing for people groups who don't know this to have it and to receive it is because when I know the promises of the Lord, it should provide me the same security that it provided Abraham as he went up that mountain knowing that God was going to be faithful to fulfill His promises. Not according to my plan, but according to His. And in His timing. Now, there's one main application point that I want you to take away from this, this morning. And that main application point is a challenge 
to believe that God will provide. But it doesn't stop there. To believe that God will provide and to see where he already has. To believe that God will provide and to see where he already has. And if you're anything like me, it is a lot easier to focus in on the areas where God has not yet come through. And that is simply because you are human. And if we had it our way, God's provision would look like comfort. And it would look like ease of life. And it would look like problem-free, trial-free. And my response often to that, and I say this to myself often, is if that was my life, I would have absolutely no need for God. And he yearns for, he desires a relationship with us. And so when we face hard times, we have a choice as to where we're going to root into. Do you root into the promises of the Lord? Or do you try to make sense of it from your own scope of view? Do you believe that God will provide? Have you stopped and considered how he already has? Now, in Hebrews 11, Abraham actually, it's identified there by the author of Hebrews, that Abraham believed that God would even raise his son from the dead. He was fully prepared to follow all the way through with this, knowing that that, even death itself, would not prevent God from accomplishing his purposes. Sound familiar, doesn't it? I think that's probably what the disciples felt in the New Testament. As we parallel that to the story of the gospel, the good news. Everyone say good news. That Abraham didn't even withhold his only son from God. And God did not withhold his only son from you. That he gave his son as a gift, knowing it was the only way for you to be saved. And God followed all the way through with that. But even death couldn't keep God from fulfilling His promises. Jesus rose again to show that there's no power over death and because sin causes death, there's no power over sin for the... There's no... Sin has no power over Jesus. There is, death has no power over Christ. And I want to clarify that because I said it wrong the first time. Alright? I said that there's no power over death. That's false. It's the other way. Okay? There's no power greater than Christ. The grace received through Christ. And that's exactly why we take communion. And this was a phenomenal week for us to take communion in recognition of God's promises and your first chance to live out this application. Not only trusting that He will provide, but seeing where He already has. And so I'm going to ask the guys to come forward who are going to serve communion this morning.
And as they do that, I want you to consider what I'm talking about when I talk about the sacrifice of Christ. As it says in Hebrews chapter 10. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering... He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And a simple definition of what it means to be sanctified, it means you're becoming more like Jesus. In other words, what this highlights is the sacrifice of Christ was enough. So that through Him we could experience life. We could have life. Eternal life. And understand this. That does not mean that life here is going to go as we would intend it to go. Does not mean that God's provision here on this earth will look like what we think it should. But what it seals and it guarantees is that in Christ, what God has promised in eternity can never be taken away. And when we come to this table, when we reflect on that truth, what it should cause us to do is step back and evaluate ourselves. And we do not emphasize that enough when we come to a place of remembrance. And that's why I continue to encourage you, if you, no matter how long you have been a follower of Jesus, if you do not feel that you are right with the Lord, if there's something that is looming that you have not sought forgiveness from Him, that you have not pursued a godly perspective on this, then pass this by. 1 Corinthians 11 warns us that we could get sick or even die. That was what was happening in the midst of Paul's ministry. And though I personally have never witnessed that, I also can't testify to what might have caused those things. Okay, But what I do know is God is a just God. And He knows where you're really at. And His desire and His longing is that you would be honest because He already knows. And so as we come to this, we should do it in humility. We should do it with reverence. Understanding that this is a representation of the Gospel, the good news. That Christ, that Jesus is the only way. And God's provision eternally has taken place through Christ and will be fulfilled in the future exactly as He planned and as He promised. So I'm going to pray 
And then I want you to take this time and evaluate where you're at. And as this comes and passes, you do according to what your conviction is. And there is, and I'm going to tell the rest of you, there is to be no even internal casting of judgment on other people. This isn't about other people. This is about you and the Lord. And so may that be our mindset as we come and consider the depth of what this means. Father, as we come to your table and prepare to take communion in remembrance of the sacrifice that was sufficient, may we do so with reverence, may we do so with a humility and a a grief of our own sinfulness, but with a hope knowing that which you have promised and revealed and fulfilled in Jesus. Lord, may we be the people who we really are, knowing that you, nothing is hidden from your sight, Lord. And may we take accordingly, in Jesus' name. Amen.